Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another great episode of the MMA Archive. I am Christopher Negron. Thank you so much for joining me once again. Um, always excited to do these events, but particularly excited when it's time to cover a Pride FC event. There's so much history within both organizations, of course, that we've covered so far, but in Pride specifically, there's a lot of things I'm really excited to get to. So whenever you get past these different events, it's it's a milestone, right? We're working towards um, a lot of the MMA history that I do have a grasp on, right? So it's exciting to sort of weed through the roots, so to speak. But speaking of that, I think this, this event, Pride FC2, is extra, extra significant, given the fact that I think there's a, a bunch of different ways that this event proves why things are done the way they're done today versus the way they were done at this event. You'll understand a little bit more what I mean by that as I go on, uh, but I thought that was really important to know in the beginning and why this is such a fun endeavor for me, right? Because I get to see what the plan was, why they were doing it, the way they were doing it, what the thought process was and think in modern day context why that no longer is the case or why things remain or why certain practices remain so it's always always some stuff to be excited about when watching these old events even when they're a stinker and i'm going to be real with y'all there was a couple fights on this card that were absolutely horrendous one of the longer events and not even because there's many many fights on it no it's only eight um, but the amount of certain things that go on during this uh, really make this a long event. So strap in, everybody. Thank you so much for joining me once again. And let's get right into it. So Pride FC 2. This one took place exactly two days after UFC 16 Battle in the Bayou on March 15th, 1998 at the Yokohama Arena in Yokohama, Japan. A familiar name for those who've been watching, of course, UFC 15.5 Ultimate Japan was also hosted in the same arena. So I don't know if they were trying to get back at them or what the case is, but um, really cool to see that and see that we got another dope event going on right there in Yokohama. So the TV announcers for the broadcast are Steven Quadros and Boss Rutten. And... That's all I really got to say. So let's get right into it. Our first bout of the night, Hoyler Gracie versus Yuhi Sano. I've wanted to start this by saying I, I find it hilarious how these early Pride events have like no filler content. Like I'm sure they did live, uh, but they cut out a lot of that. So a lot of the presentation is just like a title screen with uh, photos of both the, the competitors. And then it goes right into like the pre-match introductions, which I find pretty funny because there's just this cringe rock music going on. You see the the introductions, like it's a goddamn video game and then we're on to the fight. So really adds to things feeling very different than the way they do in the UFC with the fight graphics that they have and the way they sort of lead into the event by giving you this information about the fighters all you really get is the tail of the tape on those title cards um and then you're right into the fight basically so maybe that's just a vhs thing in the way they preserved it i'm sure in person they did some different things but either way hoyler gracie is standing at 5 8 150 pounds 
while Yuhi Sano is 5'9", 202 pounds. So obvious big discrepancy here. I think it's important to note that, that each one of these fights have different rules, so it's kind of hard to keep track of things. Um, but the, the first fight had um, sort of... How do I explain this? Basically, <laughs> there was no time limit on this, right? So let me let me make sure that I'm not speaking out of tongue in saying this. Um, but there was no time limit in this first um, fights in the way that there are rounds, right? But the rounds are unlimited. So it goes 10 and then two five-minute rounds. And then after that, it's just five-minute rounds, right? Like... <laughs> kind of crazy kind of crazy um but this first round is literally <laughs> i'm just gonna get into it how about that no more prefacing let's get right into this uh so this was both men's pride fc debut both start out the fight super sort of lazy on the feet just plotting hoilers pumping out a jab um but it's not really a jab it's coming out like diagonally so like I don't I don't know who you're fighting. You're fighting find someone that's only an inch taller than you, yet you're like outstretching your hand as if you're fighting someone that's like six four. Um eventually Hoyler secures double unders and pulls guard. And from that position, you he tried to stack them to get some ground and pound, uh, but got swept because of it. Hoyler did a good job using his butterfly guard and finding that moment to sort of kick off his balance and get on top and he ends up right into mount uh yuhi is really bucking trying to push him off Hoyler does a great job great vining the legs to sort of secure that position but this is this is where things start to get dark man because once you're in these positions right we're there for a while we're there for a while <laughs> and with no limit on these matches uh you could see where i'm going with this but Yuhi briefly, after some time being mounted, regained his guard, well, half guard, not full guard, um, and then Hoyler passed into side control on that left side. Hoyler does a great job jumping side to side, really, like from the left to the right, trying to find opportunities to hunt submissions. He's very smooth in these transitional phases, um, and against someone that's much bigger than him, you could see his weight distribution. He knows how to... Um, control people on the ground despite being smaller and i think that's an important skill especially in jiu-jitsu and that's what this virtually is right it's a jiu-jitsu match with some guy with a couple strikes every now and then when you remember oh yeah you could punch people um so hoyla starts attacking an arm triangle ends up getting reversed and now yui's on top and in, in his guard hoyla quickly throws up another triangle yui stands up and was about to power slam i'm like literally they're off the ground and you see Euler is still holding on but he lets go right as soon as he like gets picked up off the ground um and that leads to a stand up and immediately they re-engage right in the grappling and I'm like no no <sighs> and instead of maintaining his sort of ground Euler just drops back to his back and I'm like dude <laughs> why Yuhi gets on top, maintains top control for a couple of minutes, defends submissions along the way, uh, but eventually ends up getting swept again. Hoyler finds his way into mount, 
and we end up in one of the boring, most boring grappling exchanges I've ever seen. Just six minutes on top in full mount, transitioning every now and then, right, to side control or back into mount or whatever the case may be. This went on for 16 minutes. Yes, you heard that correctly. 16 minutes. <laughs> uh, Yuhi sweeps and gets on top. Hoyler starts busting up Yuhi with punches and up kicks from the bottom, which was the most excited I was during this fight. Um, you could see he really bloodied up his nose with the up kicks specifically. Um, and he ends up just getting peppered, but he doesn't really know what to do here. Like, this is something that I found really strange. Like, he's stuck in this middle phase where Hoyler's on the ground throwing kicks at him, and he's standing up over him. And instead of either going all the way in or going all the way out and letting him up, he's just stuck in this middle range getting kicked in the face. Like, such a weird way to go about that. And, of course, you see now uh, the leash is super short on that. So if... As soon as, I mean, even if sometimes if you're standing there occupying that space, but you're not doing anything with it, the ref will stand you guys up. Not here. <laughs> not at all. So Yui's just getting cracked with shots in that in-between phase. And it's just a huge stalemate. So they end up getting um, restarted on the feet. Hoyler gets a nice takedown, ends up on top, gets to mount. Isolates the arm and secures an armbar finish at three, 33 minutes and 14 seconds of the first round. Yes, you heard that correctly. First round was 60 minutes <laughs> until someone got submitted. Hoyler ends up getting a huge trophy, but this fight was ass. Like, this is probably one of the worst fights I've ever seen. Like, this is up there with Dan Severn, Ken Shamrock. Like, this is... This is historically bad. <laughs> 33 minutes and 14 seconds. Hell. Anyway. Next up, we've got Akira Shoji at standing at 5'8", 194 pounds, coming up against Juan Mott, who is 5'9", 187 pounds. Akira went to a draw with Henzo Gracie at Pride 1, is also a fucking snoozer so i was hoping that this one would be a little more exciting uh both guys start this fight trading low kicks juan staying at range and lancing and kicks i really like Juan's stand-up game he's really he really throws with bad intention uh but he has a swagger to him he's moving around well and trying to stay out of range um and land shots where he can land but shoji can't um, eventually Akira throws a nice jab and then grabs the body lock right off of it. So I love that transition specifically because the jab isn't really there always to be a damaging punch or to be a punch. Even a lot of the times it's a decoy or a flash, something to get the eyes of your opponent moving so that you could attack something else. And that's exactly what Akira did. Grabs the body lock, lifts one in the air straight up which i found pretty funny because you don't really it, it's a, it's a waste of energy frankly uh but lifts him up off of his feet straight up and then sweeps the legs sort of mid-air to trip him and get a takedown i found that takedown pretty funny that's why i wrote it out that way um but akira lands on top with deep grapevines once uh, another position that I noticed was on display during this event. Uh, getting those grapevines from full mount, man, they they do wonders, especially when 
uh, you know how to fight some missions after that. So they ended up in a bit of a stalled position for a few minutes in full mount. Eventually, Akira postures up, lands some nice shots, and one ends up giving his back. And it was super, super slick and quick the way Akira flattened him out and then immediately starts attacking the neck. And it didn't look like it was in initially, um, but just kept torquing it, kept squeezing, and eventually he ends up forcing the tap due to a rear naked choke at 3 minutes and 47 seconds. So real nice submission for Akira. Way to bounce back after a super boring fight against Henzo Gracie at Pride 1 and showing he could get the goddamn job done, right? So great performance by Akira Shoji. Next up, we have a kickboxing bout. So got to mention this. Always got to mention this. All the rules for all these fights are different. So this one is a kickboxing fight. So this isn't even listed on Tapology. So that was exciting to see. We got William Van Roosmalen, who stands at 6'4", 242 pounds, coming up against Ralph White, who is standing at 6'3", 225 pounds. This is the Pride debut for William Van Roosmalen, while Ralph White is O and one after losing to Branko Sikatic at Pride FC1. That doesn't sound right. Let me check. Let me check this. No. I lied. Sorry. Let me fix this. He's 1-0 after beating Branko Sikatic due to Branko being DQ'd. So that adds uh, a lot to the story. That adds a lot to the story. So excuse me for misspeaking there. So 1-0 up against a debuting fighter. Start this one off in round one. William looking to, looking to close the distance. Ralph White doing a great job keeping him at distance. Flashing kicks. Not necessarily throwing hard to land. Like his front kick specifically I'm thinking of when I say that. Um, is more so like a range finder, but also keeping your opponent at bay. So really just keeping them, keeping that uh, front leg out there and keeping them at bay um, and landing nice calf kicks too, calf up to the thigh. So he'll start low, go higher, and then throw the, the, the front leg, which was really nice, I think, especially in kickboxing fights. It's easier to do combinations like that because you're not worrying about the takedown threat. Um but this was a super technical fight in the first round. You know, both of these guys firing kicks, checking incoming kicks, and Ralph, uh, round one finishes. And I thought Ralph landed the more volume round one. Um, but William was able to land some big strikes as well in this uh, first round. Um, punishing leg kicks as well as some nice punches on the inside and knees on the inside as well. So I ended up giving round one to William. These are three-minute rounds. Uh, so keep that in mind. Five three-minute rounds. So round two, William's doing a great job intercepting Ralph now. So so initially, Ralph was trying to stay at bay, trying to st keep him at distance. And now Ralph's starting to move forward. And as he is, William's baiting him in and landing nice hooks, counter hooks, and then clinching up and landing really nice inside knees to the legs. Um, they're super, like, underrated because they're not they remind me a lot of the Charles Oliveira knees that landed against Dustin Poirier in their title fight because they don't look super impactful 
they don't look like they're necessarily um, damaging strikes, but they end up adding up as the fight goes on, and you see that. Um, the end of this round, I, I thought it was important to to mention this because this was kind of kind of fucking sus. Um, towards the end of this round, Ralph is looking a little banged up. Um, his he's sort of walking with a little bit of a um, of a limp. And Stephen Quadros goes, and I quote, I don't think that's a ghetto strut. That's a limp. And considering uh, Ralph White is the only black man on this <laughs> on this card up to this point, it's like, damn, dude. Like, if anyone else was, was limping, you wouldn't call it a ghetto strut, in my opinion. Uh, so get it together, Stephen Quadros. Fuck, man. I get it's the 90s, dude. But damn, like... Can you be a little less blatant there? Uh, but round two, it looks like Williams is re- William is really in control at this point. Round three. And I, I thought it was cool to mention this here. I like William's style. It's really awkward. Keeps his arms outstretched towards his opponent so that he's hard to reach with punches. Like he, he does a real good job for someone that's a little on the heavier thicker side like your boy over here um he does a really good job of leaving his his arms out so that as people try to come in he's he's moving behind him and he's very aware of what's coming at him uh but he also counters from that position so as you're coming in he doesn't necessarily have to wind up these big shots his hands are already out so you're coming into them he's coming forward and he's intercepting you in a really nice way. Um, so shout out to to William Van Roosmal. And I think his style is really cool to watch and really attritive. You know, gets those nasty leg kicks, works those knees to the body with the goal of damaging you for later. Um, but fighting that way with his arms outstretched is what really forced Ralph to try and close the distance. And then that allows William to clinch up and land that body work. So just really attractive, really smart, and parts of his game leading into other parts of it. I think that's something that I really appreciate about fighting in general, especially um, in martial arts where there are more than one discipline mixed in. Like, I feel like you can consider kickboxing and Muay Thai almost like mixed martial subdivisions of mixed martial arts because there's different styles of combat within that and if different parts of your game feeds into your opponent doing a particular thing that puts them in a position for you to do something else that you're also good at like that's that's very good strategic uh work if you ask me william ends up dropping ralph with a heavy chopping low kick from the clinch justin gaethje style where you're maintaining you're rooted to your opponent and then just chopping the leg uh, nasty work there, and and that was the one where you could really see he just got him really hurt. Um, he ends up being slow to get off the stool to start round four, and William sees it and just starts putting him on him, putting it on him big time, and ends up getting him towards the ropes, pushes him up against the ropes, and then starts landing knees on the inside, and eventually lands a beautiful left knee to the liver, and Ralph is done. Ralph is done. He finished the fight at 10 minutes and 17 seconds in round number four. So once again, that's why the time is that high. We have three minute rounds here. So this is round four. 
just a great finish there for William Van Roosmalen. And I thought this was an awesome fight. Like on a card that didn't have many, uh, this was a bright spot for sure. Uh, but let me get a sip of water here and move on. Sorry. I'm polite, you know, at least I let you know when the break's coming. Uh, next up, Vernon Tiger White, who stands at six foot, 202 pounds, coming up against Kazushi Sakuraba, six foot, 183 pounds. This is both guys' Pride FC debut. Sakuraba's one and one in the UFC after facing um, Conan Severa twice. Still, still banging the drum that they should have had a trilogy, man. I don't get why they didn't after each guy won a, won a fight against each other on the same night. Might as well wrap it up, right? But either way, Vernon starts out with a very wide, exaggerated base with his legs just out. Like, I get it. You're, you want to box, right? I get it. But at least try to hide that front leg a little, right? And Sakuraba just runs into a beautiful skip-up chopping leg kick as soon as the fight starts and then you see like right after that vernon's like ah oh, fuck i can't do that anymore and he's like trying to pull that leg in closer but he's just so used to standing that way so i, I thought that was funny to mention um just punishing that stance um great job by sakuraba even though obviously he's not known for his striking uh, but to start this one off, Vernon ended up doing something really slick that I love. He pulled down Sakuraba's lead hand and then just tagged him with a left overhand um, that really hurt Sakuraba. You could see he's sort of falling down and on his way down. He does this a lot. Like, he doesn't take punches well. There's people who they don't get hurt necessarily. Like, I, I don't think he was necessarily, like, about to get knocked out or, like, in big trouble. But he just doesn't take shots well. Like, he shies away from that contact and then immediately reverts to the grappling. And it sort of makes these strikes look more impactful, if you ask me. Um, but I thought that was a big a big left hand. And on his way down, Sakuraba just sort of snatches a single leg, lands a nice takedown, and immediately passes straight into side control. I love Sakuraba's awareness on the ground because... It's not big moves. It's always very small, slight moves um, that give him really big advantages where he's able to swim past knees and get over knee shields um, in a very smooth way that doesn't like take a lot of energy. Just to make that clear, like if someone's doing as hard as they can to keep their legs in front of you and you could sort of dance around their legs without fully having to commit both your hands to pushing their knees to the side, like that is not easy to do. Um, next time I encourage if you're ever in a grappling scenario, think of that and try to work on passing starting at the hips rather than smushing your opponent's hips if that makes sense i hope that makes sense it makes a lot of sense to me okay <laughs> um but sakuraba ends up locking up a nice kimura grip and is trying to separate it from vernon's other arm to try to get the finish eventually he does rip the arm all the way behind the back and i thought it was over like literally it was that deep 
And then immediately, as soon as Vernon's arm gets extended this way, he explodes in a way that I still don't really understand how it worked. Because obviously, Sakuraba's on top of him, torquing his arm behind his back, and he sits up. And in response to him sitting up, Sakuraba tries to redistribute his weight forward. And then he uses that to get under Sakuraba and stand up. Fucking brilliant. Like, it may not have been entirely conscious on Vernon's part, but just a great job of using his leverage in that position uh, to get up. Eventually gets to his feet at the perfect opportune moment. And now we're back at where we started, right? Uh, Sakuraba immediately went to try to hunt the single leg once again. He didn't secure it, but ends up on top in half guard and then moves his way to full mount. So now we're seeing Sakuraba eat, right? Sakuraba postures up. Vernon explodes beautifully, rolls out of this mount position and gets right back to his feet. And I'm like, dude, this guy, even though he lets himself get there, like he works to get out of it. So you got to respect that. Not not a lot of uh, people who are known for their striking are comfortable doing that. Or once they find themselves in those positions, they're just sort of at a stalemate, not doing anything. He's trying. You got to give it to him. Back on the feet, he lands a really lightning fast lead right hand that stuns Sakuraba again. This time you could see it's different. Like he he cracked him flush and it was beautiful because there was no tell. Like he just, he was at range and then he lunged forward with everything into that right hand, cracked Sakuraba, ends up back on the single leg though, of course, on the way down, like the same exact way. So whenever he's dropping down, it looks like he's on his way to being like knocked down and then he just right on that single leg uh vernon tries to roll out of it again sakurabo follows him and ends up on top and side control that was a really cool transition i encourage you to watch this one um vernon regains his guard sakurabo passes over to his legs sorry over his legs into side control again so once again using that swimming method to try to stay active on the ground is really cool on sakurabo's part so Vernon ends up exploding up once again and in the process um, Sakuraba grabs his arm in the transition. So he's trying to extend for the arm bar and gets it fully stretched out but Vernon does a great job of stacking him by putting his knee on his chest so that even though he has the arm, he can't use all of his leverage on the arm to create that fulcrum needed to get the tap. So he's eventually able to slick his way out of that arm bar and end up on Sakuraba's back. Funny enough, he tries to lock in a, a rear naked choke with no hooks in, and immediately Sakuraba just rolls him over his head, if that makes sense. Um, check it out, because this is really funny. Like, th at this point... I was getting really frustrated with Vernon, right? Because he's shown that he's able to hurt him on the feet multiple times. But every time he ends up in a grappling scenario, this is what I love about mixed martial arts. Let me give you a little breakdown right here. This is what I fucking love about mixed martial arts. Even if you are competent enough to do something, right? To do something. He has shown that he can grapple with Sakuraba. It's not like he gets taken down and is immediately like a fish out of water that don't know what he's doing. But in MMA, knowing something isn't enough 
if you know how to do something and it's not getting you towards your path to victory, it is useless. It is not serving you. If you are can hang in the grappling scenarios like you can, like you've shown that you can, why are you not weaponizing that by trying to get back on your feet at every chance possible? I don't understand it. It's maddening to me. And this is something that I still uh, notice a lot. And today um, it's just very difficult for people to consistently understand. And once again, this is a very difficult sport. So I'm not trying to rag on anybody, but I'm just saying in general, it's very difficult to continue to really follow the game plan that brings you closest to victory when you're facing a specialist because in your mind it's like all right i'm grappling with him and i'm not i'm not dead here i'm still i'm still alive right i haven't gotten choked out my arms are fine i can grapple with this guy right like that's 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 the feeling you get in these fights i would imagine but by doing that, you're playing into what they want. You're giving them positions that they might not have otherwise have gotten to because you're willing to play the game with them. And that will, that's what really bothered me about Vernon in this fight is he finds himself in positions like in back mount right there where he could just start pounding on Sakuraba's head and probably will force Sakuraba to move to a different position but instead he tries to lock up a choke against someone that's known for their grappling and then immediately gets swept and put on his back where you've been getting dominated for the most of this round. Uh, just very, obviously it's, it's easy to be hard on him and say it's a questionable decision sitting here. Uh, but at the end of the day, it's like, man, like you, you got him on the feet. We need the urgency to get back there. Like you've shown you can, you can work with him here. You don't have to keep finding yourself in these positions or trying to prove something just fucking get him on the feet and try to knock him out damn it anyway sakuraba rolls again for the arm bar but ends up not being able to get it sakuraba um ends up in turtle again with vernon on his back and vernon ends up freeing his hands lands a big right hand that you could hear like and those are the worst because he's in turtle face down on the mat like his head has nowhere to go, just getting drove into the mat. Lands a big right hand and then just stands up. I was screaming, like literally, bro, like you could have finished him. Like you literally could have finished him in that position. And as Sakuraba starts standing up, this is this I found hilarious. Sakuraba rushes to get back up to his feet, right? Because he doesn't want to get uh cracked again in that position. As he's rushing to get up, Vernon fakes a kick. Like, he runs up into it and everything. Fakes a kick, but doesn't throw it. And because he doesn't throw it, Sakuraba's standing up now and just looking at him. He goes, all right, I'll shoot for a fucking takedown. And then ends up getting a takedown and holding top position for the rest of that round. So, don't get me wrong. This is a fun fight. This is a real... um clash of styles but frustrating nonetheless round two begins vernon's keeping his distance land a piston quick jab 
that had Sakuraba wiping his eye. So I know he felt it because he he checked for blood immediately. Um, Sakuraba shoots for a double. Burning sprawls out really well, but then decides to drop back and wrap up a guillotine. We're here again, dude. Why? Why? Why are you giving this guy opportunities to grapple with you? Sakuraba's on top, advances to full mount, starts leaning to the side. So Vernon tries to explode and get out. But in that transition, Sakuraba wraps up his arm again, almost fighting for that Kamora again. Uh, but he does a good job of holding Sakuraba's legs to prevent him from getting that full extension. Um, eventually, Vernon ends up on top in turtle again. And I wrote here in all caps, just hit him. What the fuck? <laughs> uh, but constantly going back and forth and losing position, in my opinion, isn't the best look for Sakuraba, right? You're the grappler here. And you've lost position multiple times and found yourself in terrible spots where if you were fighting a more adept grappler, you probably would have got pounded pounded out already. Like, let's be real. Um, so not a super forgiving fight there. Uh, but round three begins. Sakuraba really opening up with the leg kicks since he knows Vernon won't be able to take him down or willing to take him down. Uh, so he's just throwing him full blast, full clip. Eventually, Vernon throws a lead right knee, which uh, this is beautiful. Sakuraba stepped off to his right side away from the knee. So as he's extending it, imagine when you throw a nice knee, you really get that leg up there and you feel the full extension. You push your hips back, right? You're thrusting through. As he's thrusting through, um, Sakuraba just takes that step to the right and shoots on that same leg beautifully uh, and gets a nice double leg takedown. He ends up working his way to mount, sets up the armbar again, and loses it. But once again, is attacking it, attacking it. And eventually, he wraps it up, and Vernon tries to roll through like he has been. Uh, but Sakuraba follows him this time and holds onto that arm until he's able to fully extend it and get the submission at 26 minutes and 53 seconds in round number three. So this was 10 minute rounds, which was explains the timing there. Um, this wasn't the worst fight of the night, right? There was a lot of maddening moments that uh, made me want to pull my beard hair out because I've got none up here. Um, <laughs> but this felt like a winnable fight for Vernon, right? That That's what makes this so frustrating. Like this wasn't a domination in the way that he just every time he got a position he got what he wanted like this there was parody in this fight and he still couldn't find a way to come out on top so shout out to sakuraba for finding a way to win i'm not trying to hate on sakuraba um but at the end of the day i get frustrated at people executing game plans in this way in the modern context so i don't expect to give you some flack because it was back in the day just saying just saying i think that's valid right uh, so we'll move on. <clears throat> Whew, it's not easy talking to yourself, dude. Not easy. Uh, next up, Henzo Gracie. Here we go. Henzo Gracie. 5'10", 185 pounds, coming up against Sene Kikuta, who stands at 5'9", 200 pounds, 10-minute rounds, unlimited rounds. Yes, you heard that right. 10-minute rounds. Unlimited rounds. Ren Renzo. Henzo had a draw at Pride 1. And this is Sine making his Pride debut. So he had a draw. 
in where there were draws. They made a rule change. There's no longer the capacity for a draw because there's unlimited rounds. 10 minute rounds. You've heard me. I'm stressing this for a reason, okay? <laughs> but I'll let the fight play out, right? I'll talk you through the fight as it plays out so that you could feel how I felt. Because I'm not just trying to spoil it off the top. This is fucking nuts. It's crazy. Bear with me here, though. Henzo ends up working his way to double underhooks, right? On the feet. He secures a nice trip takedown. He ends up stuck in guard for a few minutes, uh, but Sine ends up kicking him off and gets back to his feet as quickly as possible. Um, Henzo rushes him into the corner, though, and ends up getting double underhooks again up against the, the turnbuckle, so to speak. Um, Sine gets a nice slick trip takedown from there, though, which I thought was really cool because they were battling in that clinch position for a couple minutes before he was able to reverse that position and get that nice takedown. So shout out to Sine on that one. Ends up in top half guard, holding top control, but doesn't really do nothing for a, uh, besides a few strikes on the ground. Now we're in round two. Everything I just said right there, that was what was notable enough in a 10-minute period of time for me to write out. You understand? Do you understand why I'm fucking angry right now? <laughs> anyway, round two. Henzo fakes a level chains and lands a filthy left hook. Beautiful. Mwah! Chef's kiss. You'd love to see it because Henzo is not a good striker. Let's make that clear. He's not a good striker, but he's a willing striker. And to be able to know that, hey, I've, I've got this guy worried about the level change. Let me start landing, Let me start putting the paws on him and putting together those combinations. It's beautiful. You'd love to see it. <clears throat> Sine ends up trying that same uh, trip takedown from the clinch, but ends up not being able to secure it. They're trading knees in the standing clinch position, but it looks like Henzo's are got a little bit more sting on them. Eventually, Henzo works out of the clinch and starts to pressure Sine on the feet. Um, since, well, think about it like this. Sine's already on the corner, like he's in the corner. So Henzo's just making it apparent that he's not going to let him out. So he's keeping him there. I say he's pressuring him. It sounds like he's moving forward, but he's really just keeping him in the corner by occupying that space. Um, eventually, sorry, scratch Michelle. Um, Sine rushes into the clinch and eats a knee to the body for doing that. Um, he does a great job, though, of staying active and trying to reverse the position, and he eventually does land another nice trip takedown. Um, where Sine is able to remain in top position for many minutes, softening up Henzo with a couple of punches here and there. Eventually, Sine ends up standing up willfully, and on the way up, Henzo lands a nice upkick, uh, cracks him right in the chin. Um, after landing some leg kicks in that in-between position, Sine ends up driving right back into his guard, and we're back in square one, just sitting here for a couple minutes until it's the end of the round. So there's a clear stalemate whenever Sine ends up on top in guard or whenever Henzo ends up on top in guard. So keep that in mind. Round three, we're 20 minutes in, folks. Immediately, Sine wraps up Henzo with an upper body cleanse and gets that slick takedown again. 
They end up stuck in Henzo's guard for the whole round with very minimal ground and pound. Ten minutes. Ten minutes in guard. This is a grappling match. This is a glorified... EBI has more um, action on the ground in a grappling setting than this. This is absolutely horrendous. It's not that they're not trying. It's not that they're not doing what they have to do. I appreciate grappling contests. So, once again, don't accuse me of being a striker um, bias. There's not a striker bias here. I enjoy watching grappling contests. Straight grappling. Not even... Uh, MMA bouts but this is the worst of that this is so boring because they're there they're occupying those positions but they're not necessarily doing much to get advancement or to further um, the position so it's just a long stalemate and it's like bruh once you're 30 minutes in you, you got nothing to look forward to but round four starts and it's like that meme from San Andreas. It's just, oh, shit. Here we go again. <laughs> Kakuda ends up getting a takedown, gets on top, holds the position for about seven minutes. They get reset on the feet after Sine ends up punching Henzo in the back of the head. And immediately, Henzo complains to the ref. I'm someone that doesn't really like that. Call me old school, right? But the ref is there to watch the fight. And decide whether something is illegal or not it is not your job to tell them in my opinion every single time something like that happens because a that's what they're paid to do to watch those things and b just think about it everyone is there for their own interest trying to win if you are continuously chirping to the ref about this that and every single moment of the fight um, you're taking yourself out of the fight now, right? You're focused more now on the game within the game when there's someone trying to take your head off and you could get knocked out in the middle of trying to explain something to the ref and it's your fault. So I, I just don't advise people to do that. Of course, I don't advise anyone <laughs> in any MMA context, but you get what I mean, okay? <laughs> um, I, I don't think that's very smart at all because you're putting yourself in a vulnerable position just to tell them what they probably already saw and didn't give a warning for because that's how refereeing and MMA goes, right? <laughs> Literally. Um, back on the feet, Henzo's putting that check left hook to work. Every time Sine ends up rushing forward, he ends up getting cracked. And honestly, I think Sine is just garbo, garbage on the feet. Every time he throws, it's, it's, it's speed over power, and there isn't really... A lot of technique there. Um, but he's throwing punches out there. Don't get me wrong. But every single time he throws, it's so telegraphed and it gets countered. Um, and this is by a striker that I would say isn't a great striker either. So it just speaks to the level there. <sighs> Round five. We are 40 minutes into this fight. 40 minutes. Sane rushes forward into the clinch. Henzo lets his back hit the rope and then uses that momentum to reverse and push Sané into the corner. I thought that was a beautiful moment there. Something that I mentioned even in the cage. It's a very smart thing to do just because you're using that natural momentum. You're being pushed into it. So why not follow that momentum, right? If you, Even if you fall on the ground, there's some bounce there. So the same thing happens when you're bouncing into a flat surface. Just use that to your advantage. And Henzo did a great job of doing just that. 
Eventually, Sine shoots for a takedown from the corner that ends up being stuffed. On the way in, Henzo wraps up that guillotine grip and started to land some knees in this clinch position. Really nice work, really debilitating because you're already hanging all your weight on their neck and now you're driving your knee into their sternum. Can't be uh, fun whatsoever. Um, eventually, Sine drops back. Uh, sorry, not Sine. Henzo drops back and commits to go for the choke, but Sine is able to pop his head out and then works the top control for the end of the round. So we're 50 minutes in now. No, sorry. Yes, 50 minutes in. <laughs> Round six, bruh. I wrote, bruh, finally some action. They stopped the fight. <laughs> they stopped the fight two minutes into the, to the round to cut some tape off of Sine's glove. That, that is action. That is action, okay? Uh, Sine races forward, gets tagged again by that same left hook. Eventually... Henzo wraps up a arm and guillotine as Sine is trying to force the issue, grappling. And it looked a little weird because it looked like they were sort of stuck in that position and he wasn't cranking it too hard. Uh, but eventually Sine ends up tapping at 75 minutes and 43 seconds. So now I spoke out of turn during this one because I said it was 10 minute rounds. No, these are 50 minute unlimited rounds why never again do this to me sir please this was ridiculous 75 minutes this is an hour and 15 minutes of a glorified grappling match don't get me wrong the finish was all right but having to deal with everything to get to this point dude the event itself was two hours, no, three hours and 11 minutes. When I finished this fight, I was two hours and 30 minutes into the event. There is one, two, th three fights left in the span of 40 minutes. Oh, this was maddening. This is the worst fight I've ever seen. And it's not because there wasn't anything being done. It's not because they both suck. They're both good at grappling. Just... They weren't doing enough trying to finish the entire time. And every time there was a moment of success, I wrote it down. But this is 75 minutes of fighting that only occupied a page and a half. Sometimes I have a page and a half of notes for one round, like one five-minute round. Crazy, crazy, crazy boring fight. Do not watch this. Like, don't. Please. <laughs> save yourself i did it for us okay next up whoo whoo gotta gotta clear the palette oh man i'm upset i'm upset i had to watch this a little asmr there because i forgot to to mute next up another kickboxing fight Second one of the night, we have Tassis Pedridis from Australia, standing at six foot one, two hundred fourteen pounds, coming up against George Randolph, who's standing at six foot seven, two hundred eighty-seven pounds, and looks every inch of it. Dude is huge, thick as well. So 
you see this and you're like, man, Tasha's got a problem on his hands. Uh, these are three minute rounds, five, three minute rounds. So George is slow and plotting, but very powerful. You could see every time he's fully extended to these punches, they're moving Tasha's regardless of where they hit him on the chest or whatever. They're moving him. Um, they end up in a lot of nice, heavy exchanges early, which I really love to see. George does a very good job of forcing himself into the clinch, using his big stature um, to create exchanges and lands a beautiful knee that stuns Tassis early, like a nice knee to, sh knee to dome. Like, And from someone that big, scary stuff. So I was like, holy shit, we're on our way to a knockout here. Like, I'm, I'm pumped. Um, George keeps exploding forward, but by the end of the round, he looks pretty gassed, and Tassis does a great job of just circling out, playing the matador, right? You already got cracked big time. Take your time, and that's what Tassis did. So shout out to him. He's, he lives to see round two. Round two, Tassis looking for a right hook constantly, whether he's going forward or going back, because George pressures a lot, um, but like I said, Tassis does a good job of circling out. So he ends up putting himself in a position where now the majority of the ring is behind him. So he can move forward into his opponent where they don't have a lot of real estate to move. So, um, Tassis starts landing some brutal leg kicks that literally have George wincing every time he's throwing George is throwing down his arms to try to grab the legs which in a kickboxing fight, I could I get the impulse, but it's really the worst thing you could do compared to MMA. Because in MMA, that's a very smart reflex, right? You put yourself in a position to counter that shot with a, a takedown. But in kickboxing, you're just leaving yourself open on that entire side, um, which sucks. And, and that's a theme for the rest of this fight. Uh, George ends up landing a really hard right straight that I thought was going to drop Tassis. Like he charged into it and cracked them hard. Like that was the hardest punch up to this point in the fight for sure. And he just ate it, ate it and kept going, just circled out. All right, you got me. Let's keep moving. And this was beautiful. He ends up Tassis faking a low kick getting that huge reaction and then landing a nasty right hook right over the top, uh, which was something that boss Rutten was asking for in the commentary. Um, I like, I like the duo of boss Rutten and Steven Quadros. It's iconic just hearing them. Cause obviously it, all the pride stuff has them in it. Um, but I think it's a good mix of um, sort of being brief and then being technical as well as being funny and being serious on Steven Quadro's part. So I really like their dynamic. Um, but they were calling for that to sort of fake the fake low and go high. And as soon as he he did that and landed that right hook, boss was like a little kid. Just, Oh, look at that. Um, I love his enthusiasm, but that's round two. Round three. And I noted this, the more the Tassis sweats, the more he starts morphing into a dark version, a darker version of Artem Lobov. Because <laughs> he's he's balding up top, but dude looks just like him. Like his facial features, I swear, he looks just like him. His style doesn't look like him, but his face. Anyway, 
Um, Toss is really putting together big combinations now. He cannot miss with these hooks now that George doesn't have the legs under him that he did early on. Uh, George threw a, a push kick that missed. And as soon as his leg landed back on the ground, Tasis countered with a leg kick that was just so loud, like the biggest kick of the entire fight cracks him. And and you could see George is just like, fuck, <laughs> like, God damn. Um, so round four starts respect to George for making it this far. Dude is a savage. Like he's getting tagged, but he just, he, there's no quitting him. He's just continuously coming forward. Um, Tassis just misses on a head kick, dude, like this close. Um, and then boss boss had a nice reaction. Just, Oh, um, once again, love the dynamic. He ends up landing a, a nice, nice right high kick after seeing how close it was that first time. Lands it later on in the fight, and as soon as he does, just follows up with a bunch of punches. Uh, looked like he could have swarmed to finish, but uh, he ends up getting saved by the bell there. So now round number five. This point, it's a one-sided fight. It's all Tassis after having to deal with that adversity early. He's just landing big leg kicks and the threat of those leg kicks are opening up bigger power shots, lefts, rights, just cracking George and credit to George for being able to make it the distance. Uh, but it was just so one-sided after this, basically the second round. So uh, shout out to Tassis winning a very clear decision should not be controversial whatsoever. Um, and what I thought was a pretty entertaining fight. You know, you got the David Goliath dynamic going on. Uh, you can't complain too much, right? So that was dope. That was dope. Next up. Whew. I've been talking a lot. Next up, Marco Huas standing at six foot one, 210 pounds, coming up against Gary Goodridge, six foot three, 240 pounds. Marco Huas is making his pride debut. He's four and one in the UFC, while Gary Goodridge is one and zero in pride, but three and four in the UFC. Don't let that fool you, though. I think this was a very fun, competitive fight, dude. Like th this fight was awesome. Please watch it. We will get to our awards later, but please watch it. This this fight was dope. Um, Gary Goodrich counters a leg kick early and cracks Marco Huas with a nice left hand. And you could see in that exchange, Marco may be more technical, but Gary Goodrich has the power and speed advantage. Like the dude is fast and sharp early in this fight. Um, that big combination in flurry ends up forcing marco to shoot for a takedown gary goodrich stuffed it beautifully and landed a knee on the break as they come up just feels like marco who can't do shit early on right um marco ends up throwing a naked leg kick really hard and gary does a beautiful job of sliding right out of the way so just pulling his legs back to get out of the way of the kick and the counter to that is the same in modern day MMA. So I, I was super pumped when I saw this. Marco Tuas is a throwback, but this dude is was really a call to the future as far as what we're going to see in modern day MMA. Uh, because as soon as he misses that leg kick, right? So you're still, the momentum is still going. He just lets it take him, still spinning in that direction, and then follows up through with a spinning back fist. Now, this is important because 
you could think, hey, he's just throwing a spinning backfist. Why not, right? But think about the mechanics of it. In order to slide back out of the way of the punch, you need to bring your torso forward. So in doing that, now you're right in line for that. So just a really cool counter to a counter, right? So you missed your kick, but now in order for them to get out the way the way they did, they exposed themselves, right? So now you have that opportunity to land that backfist. He ends up not landing it, uh, but once again, credit for throwing it so early on in the MMA game and seeing that opportunity, you know? <clears throat> Goodridge is putting a lot of pressure on Marco Huas, gets him into the corner and then just starts throwing bombs, landing big shots that force Marco to clinch up with him. Marco pushes him up against a rope and then tries to land a sacrifice throw. This is, I wrote this out like, Ken from Street Fighter, so like, <laughs> try to picture me, riddle me this, stay, stay with me here. Um, but how he sort of rolls backwards and then kicks his feet up to push his, like, throw his opponent into the air. That's exactly what Marco Huas did. And in doing that, Goodrich does fall forward and literally lands on top of his head like a fucking break dancer. <laughs> so he's just on his head for a second, eventually falls back down though, and literally right into side control on top of Marco Hua. So even though he did this big sacrifice throw that looked like it was impactful for a second, Gary finds himself on top and eventually um, works his way in a half guard. I feel like he likes half guard better than side control for ground and pound just because you could control better. I think that's something that you see with wrestlers in general. I don't think Gary Goodridge is necessarily a wrestler, but later on in MMA, that becomes a staple in wrestlers' games. Um, but he really starts landing bombs from this position. He put some damage on Marco Huas, opened a big cut over his right eye, and swolled up the eye down here as well, just from those punches on the ground. Um, eventually, after landing a bunch of shots, uh, Gary decides to let Marco up because Marco started attacking a heel hook. Um, back on the feet, Marco circling, eventually gets caught up against the corner again, and Gary rushes in with hard shots that were dodged. So he, he Marco Huaz is still moving, able to get out of the way, but as he's charging forward, Gary takes a misstep, and it looks super weird, man. Like, I still can't identify exactly what it was, but he looks like he injured his leg because as soon as he took that misstep, Huaz is still circling away and looking right at him. But now Gary Goodridge isn't going forward anymore. Like he literally drops his hand to hold his leg. So you can see there's something wrong. Um, and as soon as he does that, Marco steps forward and says, fuck you. Like I'm taking this opportunity and just cracks him with a right hand. Gary tries to clinch him to sort of stop the, the, the damage. Uh, Marco starts landing some big knees from the clinch. And then eventually he throws another knee that Gary's able to catch and dump him, throw him right on the ground. Um, but as soon as Goodridge starts to get into his guard, so to speak, Marco angles off to the side and starts attacking a heel hook on that right leg. And it was only a matter of seconds until you could see Marco's really pulling on it. And then you hear Gary scream like a horrific scream. And, um, immediately taps after that but you could see marco let go after the scream which i respect because not a lot of people would do that 
And honestly, you shouldn't do that in MMA specifically um, because obviously anything can happen, right? You could just stand right back up and punch your lights out. Uh, so scary position, but at the end of the day, you got to respect when someone cares enough for their opponent to not damage them after they made it clear that they're in a fucking shit ton of pain. So shout out to Marco Huas getting a beautiful win in a fight that he was being fucked up before he's able to turn the tide. Like, that's not easy at all. That is no small feat um, to come back against someone that is putting it on you on the feet damage-wise and uh, stick to it, stick to your guns and get a submission. Beautiful stuff. Finally, the eighth fight of the night, our main event, we have Branko Sidovic standing at six foot two, 216 pounds, coming up against Mark Kerr, the smashing machine. He stands at six foot three, 255 pounds, the fucking specimen. The dude just got a body like a dream. I gotta say it. You gotta you gotta say the truth around here, you know? I'm 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 on the thicker side. There's not there's not much fat on this dude. Just saying. And at 250 pounds, that's fucking nuts. Um, Branko is 0-1 in pride after losing his first kickboxing match due to a DQ, while Mark Kerr is making his pride debut, but he is 4-0 in the UFC. They circle for a minute before Mark ends up shooting in for a double leg. Huge old Mark Kerr. Uh, Branko's being held up by the ropes and literally he's tucks his right arm underneath a rope. So that's why he's being held up. Um, but from that position, it's clever. It's creative. Uh, Branko uses his other elbow. I mean, arm to start landing some 12 to six elbows to the back of Mark Kerr's head while being held up from, from the ropes. Um, eventually all the refs intervene, not because of the elbows being illegal, but because obviously you're not supposed to grab onto the ropes that way. So they restart them on the feet and they give Branko a warning, right? But I even said it here, like, this is not enough of a warning because he basically had the takedown secure. Now you're restarting them on the feet. Like you took away all the work he got to tell him, hey, you're not supposed to do that. But now I'm going to reward you for doing that by getting you out of that position. I don't agree with that. It's stupid. And I hope that we see that change moving forward. Um, next up, Kerr ends up securing a nice single leg this time. And he doesn't finish the takedown just yet. He just has hold of the leg. And Breko does the exact same shit. He just he finds the rope. And as soon as his back hits the rope, he goes and just crabs it with his elbow. Starts landing elbows with his other arm. Ref stops, jumps in between them again to stop the action. But Mark Kerr is pissed off. And I can't blame him. He doesn't even let go. Like the ref is in between them telling him to stop. And he's just throwing punches respect i don't blame you because literally you got fucking peppered with some bullshit shots twice now um but it it literally took three or four refs to come in and break up mark kerr from him at this point there was chaos in the ring you weren't really sure what was going to happen or whether or not we were going to restart it because brinko was kind of saying like i'm good let's go um but Eventually, they announced that Mark Kerr gets the win due to disqualification at 2-14. and 14. 
sorry, two minutes and 14 seconds. And I just can't believe that uh, Branko Sidovic is now the first fighter I've ever seen to get back-to-back DQs. <laughs> ever. I've never heard of some shit like that. Back-to-back DQs, and, and it's not like in retrospect, like drug-related or something. No, back-to-back DQs where you were disqualified because of what you did. <laughs> like, that is... You got to give it up, right? Like, that's impressive in its own right. Like, if, if you ain't cheating, you ain't trying. But damn, dude, like, you, you did it enough that you got disqualified twice in a sport where disqualifications are so fucking rare. Like, you're really, you're taking cheating to a whole nother level. And I, I honestly can't say I don't love it. So shout out to Branko Sidovich. And shout out for Mark Kerr for being just a consummate professional. Like, the dude looks like a fucking animal. He's huge. He's jacked. But every time he opens his mouth, he's just the sweetest dude ever. Like, I, I love Mark Kerr, man. He's like, he's like, I just want to say sorry to you guys. Thank you so much for coming out. You know, I hate that it had to end this way. Um, I wish there was something more I could have done about it. But I really want to let you guys know that I'm just so thankful that you guys came here today. Like, thank you so much. And I'm like, dude, this guy's, <laughs> this guy, like, if you close your eyes, like, there's no way that's who's talking. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? There's, there's no way. So shout out to Mark Kerr, man. Just the gentle giant, uh, dope dude. And gets another main event win. And that's Pride FC too, man. This card was sickening. Sickening. Ah, I'm, I'm out of breath just talking about it, man. It was a marathon, like a, a eight fight card should not be three plus hours. Like, oh, excuse me. Um, I'm exhausted. I'm going to, I'm going to get out of here. Uh, but thank you so much for joining me once again on the MMA archive. This is a blast for me. I love doing this. So please let me know how you're liking it. Let me know what you think. Uh, this is super fun for me. And I just love doing these pride events specifically. Uh, so even though this one really, really sucked, had a had a bunch of spots that I really don't like. Uh, there were a lot of fun moments as well, which I hope I was able to convey. Um, so let's get right into our awards of the night. Fight of the night. Gotta be Marco Huas versus Gary Goodridge. There was actually parody in this one. The person who was losing throughout it ended up winning at the end. Gotta give it to them. Next up, performance of the night. Ooh, this is a hard one. Hmm. You know what? I'm giving it to William Van Roosmalen, man. I know that may sound a little weird, right? Because he, hey, shouldn't that be knockout of the night? I just thought the way he put everything together and the way his tactics incentivize his opponent to do other things super cool like he he really earned this victory in a way that you see round one was playing out a certain way and then the rest of the fight was the complete opposite because of what he was able to do against ralph white so shout out to william van roosmalen next up ko of the night armbar submission i don't think i we have a candidate for this no i lied um yeah William Van Roosmalen right that's the only knockout we had so you got to give it to him yeah so do I want to give performance of the night to him yeah fuck that um <laughs> submission of the night um 
eh, I'm not going to be cheap and give it to Marco Huas. I'm going to give it to Akira Shoji, right? Show him some love. Uh, the only fight that was really quick and got us out of there quickly. Um, Soji Rennick Choke. And that's our awards for Pride FC2. Once again, thank you so much, guys. Uh, love doing this. It's a fucking blast for me. And I hope um, I'm able to, I don't know, be informative, paint a picture, um, and really show how far MMA has come. Because, wow, I can't imagine. I mean, it. I, I guess it would be fun in certain contexts to have unlimited rounds, unlimited 15-minute rounds. But uh, it's a nightmare in most cases. So stay away from it, you guys. Uh, you can follow me at Negrong MMA on Twitter, as well as Chris Negrong MMA on Insta on Instagram. No, I'm sorry, Chris Negrong underscore, not MMA. Chris Negrong underscore on Instagram, Negrong MMA on Twitter. Um, or you could also follow the brand. Make sure you follow the brand at OTS Media Co, as well as OTS Media on YouTube. Um, we're on all different platforms on OTS Media Co, but then OTS Media on YouTube. Make sure you give us a, a subscribe there, follow our stuff, like what what you see. If you like what you see, uh, show me some love. I really appreciate it more than you understand, and it really keeps me going to do stuff that I already love doing, right? Uh, so give me that little bit of extra motivation to do something that I'm already doing for you guys. So please give me your thoughts. If you want to get on this damn show, let me know. I'd love to have other people look at these fights with me before I get on and then hop on and just chat shit, right? Talk, talk a little bit about the fights and see what's happening. So thank you so much again for everything you guys do. I really appreciate you. And I can't wait to the next one. Another episode of the MMA, MMA archive in the books. Shout out to pride Two. on to the next one. I hope you have a good one. You guys peace.